Welcome to the Bold, Beautiful, Borderline podcast. It's your host, Sarah, and I'm actually introducing this episode a little bit differently than we normally do. Normally, Lori and I live introduce together while we're recording, but you will hear in this episode that I jump out at one point. I got a little bit dysregulated, as we do, and I decided to exit the podcast. Um, So you're going to have to listen all the way through to see what prompts that. But I just wanted to briefly jump on and say, yeah, I took care of myself. I wasn't regulated. I left the podcast conversation. Um, Lori and Aaron finish it together. And just wanted to say, like, I'm okay. I'm good. You guys know in that moment, When things are tough, sometimes we just need an out. And in that moment, I couldn't be very skillful, so I took that out. But in this episode, you're going to hear Lori and Aaron's love story for the ages part two. And you'll also hear Sarah become very dysregulated for a second. So please make space for that. And here is part two. And today we're doing part two of an episode with the other light of my life, Aaron, who is my fiance. So super, super excited to have Aaron back for part two. And we will be doing a listener question episode as well. So if you do have any questions specific to partners who have BPD, please do send them our way. So Aaron, in in part one, we heard about kind of our beginnings of dating uh, and then how you learned about BPD and kind of the stigma that you were reading about online and how you were able to kind of um, like compartmentalize that almost and move to just like treating me like a regular human Um, and how you try and use your own like logic to think about my emotions in a different way. And so basically trying to put yourself in my shoes for my emotional responses. So that's super awesome and helpful and you're incredible and I love you. So what would your number one advice be to somebody who's entering into a relationship with somebody with borderline? Good question. Run as fast as you can. (laughs) I was going to make a joke but felt that might be inappropriate. There are no inappropriate jokes on this podcast. Um, I think I think last time I was on the podcast, it was kind of alluded to, but to stop and think for a second. If when you're frustrated about the other person's emotional response, or you're feeling particularly emotional because of the other person's emotional response, then sometimes you just have to like stop and think about what they're feeling. And that's not to say that your emotions are invalid about how you're feeling about it. Um, But for, in my experience, for people with BPD, it's a lot harder to do that little backpedal to just stop and, and take a second to 
think more about the situation or about what they're feeling, what you're feeling and what's being said. Yeah, totally. And I think what's so interesting about you is that you just seem to have like a very natural ability to use skills. And so like you were able to just take that pause and realize that like you're frustrated, I'm frustrated. How can we kind of like just relax a bit in between getting like we don't really get angry um which is interesting I mean like sorry let me rec- let me clarify I get angry <laughs> but we don't we like we don't fight like ever really and that is very abnormal for me in relationships and I know that at some points I've been like annoyed about that <laughs> because I I'm used to the chaos as Sarah puts it like of just like constant back and forth like screaming matches and like we've never had that ever which is good and also sometimes frustrating (laughs) you've never gotten in a screaming match no i don't i don't like yelling but that's not to say that you can't that you can't fight like couples fight and you can't not date someone with bpd just because you are also uh somewhat emotional person like i i'm not very i don't know what the word is that i'm looking for like you're like you're super patient if that is what the word you're looking for is yeah like my emotion let's say that emotion is on like a a line it'll always hover around kind of the center line up and down and up and down but other people will be more emotional and you don't necessarily have to have no emotion or, or like little emotion to be able to date someone with BPD. I'd say it would just look different than our relationship. Yeah. I, that's super true. I think because you're like very emotionally stable, it's frustrating, but so helpful. Right. Because sometimes I just want you to also freak out about stuff because it's like what I'm used to and how my brain works. And then it would make me feel less irrational. But at the same time, like, I don't think that we would be anywhere near as happy and like stable as we are now. It would like to me, it's less like passion filled because we're not having arguments and making up all the time. But also I think about back to the relationships where we were arguing and making up all the time. And like, I much prefer this, right. Where it's like, you're my comfort person. That's awesome. Like you make me feel safe and you make me feel like I can have the emotions that I need to have. And you'll be there regardless, even if you don't always agree with what they are. So other questions that I think will come up are likely around how you help with skills. So I know um, for a while we had a piece of paper on our fridge that had like a bunch of emotion regulation skills on it and like highlighted the ones that I liked. And and you've been known to literally bring me the piece of paper and be like, cool. So we're going to do one, two, three, four, five, and then see how you're feeling. And cause you've never done therapy before, right? Yeah, I have not done therapy. And I mean, I would say that this is a flaw of my own or something that I should know better is the skills Fun fact, there's a podcast about that. Um, But I don't, I couldn't tell you what the skills are. And I would recommend to people who 
are dating people with BPD that it's probably something that you should know. Um, I feel like it would probably be more effective if I did know them and I could say, hey, this would be a good skill for us to use and kind of point that out because um, I think in Lori's case, it's kind of helpful when I brought her the sheet, even though I wasn't really doing anything, I was sticking it in her face so that she can be like, okay, yeah, I need to do this. Um, same thing if you can identify a skill and say like, we should try this. And I would think that that would kind of help bring your brain back into a spot to do those skills. Even if you're not in a spot where you're going to go actively seek out, like you're not going to think I'm going to do this skill now necessarily. And I mean, you do, but there are some times that you wouldn't. And I think being able to, as a partner, say, yeah, we should try this would be a good thing. Yeah. And I think like for me, I have been practicing my skills for a very long time. And so I'm like more likely to use them without needing like a prompt. But at the same time, I know people that ask all the time, how do you use your skills all the time? And I'm like, I don't use my skills all the time. When I get to like a nine out of 10 on the emotion regulation, like ability, uh, there's no way I'm using my skills. And Sarah knows this full well, neither of us do it, right? Like we're both, we both need each other. Not that we're in a romantic relationship, although sometimes it feels like maybe we are. Uh, <laughs> I feel like the amount of times we call each other the loves of our lives is hilarious given we've never met. Um, but like we, we try and say, hey, can we try and fact check this? Or, hey, maybe we need to use radical acceptance or, hey, whatever. And even when we're telling each other that and we're dysregulated, sometimes we don't listen. And that that's the reality of it, right? Yeah. Although I would argue that being told radical acceptance is a skill for me is just more triggering. So I'm like, fuck you, bitch. Basically like, hey, Sarah, deal with it. Yeah, that is just... Ugh. Okay, so I'm really, I have to just, I need to self-disclose. I'm feeling incredibly triggered by the fact that you guys have never gotten in a screaming match. I, like, really thought that my marriage was a lot healthier than I perceived it to be. So I'm, like, I'm kind of shut down. I could see that you were shut, shutting yeah. down, actually, and I, I wasn't, I couldn't place what that was from. Yep. So as always, if you want to stop, we can stop. But she, for the record, she shook her head. I didn't start going before she answered. Radically accept it, Sarah. <laughs> We're going to keep talking. I know, right? Suck my dick, Aaron. Um, yeah, I mean, it's weird for me. And I, and I don't think that that makes your relationship less healthy, Sarah. Like, I think that arguing is a part of relationships that is normal for some reason, Aaron and I just don't yell at each other. I think that like a lot of couples, probably the majority of couples do get into arguments like that. So it doesn't mean just because you do or don't that your relationship is more or less functional or more or less valid. And I, we don't get into shouting matches or anything like that, but we have our disagreements on things. 
it's just a different way of expressing that, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, you guys are obviously still together and getting married, right? Like my, my marriage ended in divorce. So it's already clear to me that there's a, a level of disconnect between the relationship that you guys have and the relationship that I had, right? And ended in divorce. But it's just so hard for me to imagine a partnership that doesn't involve that kind of chaos and yelling and throwing things and name calling. And like, that's the only thing I've known as an adult in interpersonal relationships because my dysregulation has been so significant, right? Tori never prompted any of those things. But in my past, in in my relationships prior to Tori, there was an equal level of dysregulation um, between me and my partners. So I think it's probably worth noting that the gender differences are playing a factor, right? Like estrogen is just different than two women together is just different than a, a woman and a man. And I'm experiencing dating men for the first time in my adult life really right now. And there's been no yelling and and arguing in my situationship. Um, (laughs) But it's only been two months. So, you know, or a month and a half or whatever. So I don't think that's any good indicator. But yeah, like that's just incredibly triggering to me. So, I mean, you guys don't have to console me, obviously. You don't have to justify that you don't argue or you don't scream at each other. You don't tell each other you fucking hate each other and you're fucking cunts. But I'm just feeling a ton of my own stuff. Uh, Yeah, I can understand that for sure, Sarah. And I remember being in a very similar boat where, like, my friends would tell me about their relationships. And I'd be like, what do you mean you don't fight? Like, that doesn't, that's not possible. That's not what this is, right? Um, I do think that therapy, though, um, has in some ways caused me to become a lot less, I've become a lot less aggressive, which is a good thing, but it also has made me bring a lot of my anger, shame, hatred, blah, 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 internally, as opposed to externally, whereas before it was fully externally. And so I actually think that in some ways it's not a helpful skill to have. Right. So like, for example, I used to, um, be like more violent And then I started self-harming all the time. Or if I was angry, I would like be very outspoken about it. Whereas now sometimes I'll be angry and I'll just like shut down. So I think in some ways it's the same thing where like if Aaron and I are angry at each other, instead of getting like mad and like yell or scream or whatever, I just shut down. And that's actually not always a good thing, right? Because you're not always dealing with your issues. So I definitely don't think that it's like, one is better than the other. Like, obviously, if there was, like, physical abuse involved, then, like, obviously one is better than the other. Um, Or emotional abuse, because I do think that that is, like, a really big thing in relationships sometimes. And I know that that's why, like, some of my previous relationships still really screw with me. But I don't think that fighting is inherently a bad thing because it means that you're talking about the stuff that's just, like, hard for you. Yeah. I do think it's worth noting that name calling is unacceptable. Um, that is, that's emotional abuse. I've been incredibly guilty of that in many interpersonal relationships in my life. I try not to hold on to shame associated with that because I can clearly differentiate between Sarah and Sarah who's dysregulated. 
And that's why we use the skills, right? And we try to stay in the first version of Sarah. Um, One of the things I've been realizing in therapy too is that there are just people that are inherently more triggering to us than other people. And I believe that I married and divorced someone who's just more triggering to me than other people are. That's not surprising to me, given that we had such a like fast courtship and passionate kind of relationship. That passion and that excitement in the beginning often becomes like dysregulation and and frustration later on. It seems to me like you and Aaron do not inherently trigger one another, that y'all are just like puzzle pieces that seem to fit really well. And I think that that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I can safely say that I never thought that I would meet a person that I didn't, that that I was this comfortable with just day to day. And like, I remember there was a, um, I think it's a Whitney Cummings quote about love. And it was like the definite definition of love is that, oh, what is it? Like, you, um, can we just acknowledge what a terrible last name Cummings would have been in <laughs> middle school? Yeah, that's probably why she's a comedian because she's like so, um, she got bullied so bad. Let me find it. It's something along the lines of, um, wanting to kill somebody more than anybody else. Oh, I, I, I found it here if you want. Oh, yes. Thank you. My definition of love is being willing to die for someone who you, who you yourself want to kill. That, in my experience, is kind of the deal. Yes. Thank you. That is the quote. And I remember thinking pre-Aaron that that was the definition of love. Yikes. That, yeah. Because that was it. I was like, I hate you so much. And that must be love. I could never love anyone more than you. Yeah. And I hate, and I hate that I love you this much. So fuck you basically. And that was where I think like getting together with Aaron was so difficult because I knew that I didn't hate him and that I probably wasn't going to. And so it's a lot easier to leave somebody and to not be abandoned by somebody that you actively hate. And that definition does not resonate with me at all anymore. Like literally at all. Like, I think that Aaron is my person and I didn't think that I was going to get a person (laughs) and I hate being the kind of person who's like, Oh my God, like, you'll know it when it happens, blah, 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 like all that bullshit. But like, I kind of know that he's my person because of the way that we deal with issues. I know that there would be, I can't even think of an example of an issue where like, we wouldn't be able to talk about it and like, if one of us cheated on the other person, it would not be good. But like, I don't think that it would be, I don't think it would necessarily break us up right away because we'd be able to talk about it and like deal with it. I don't know. Aaron's like, nah, bitch, that's not true. But I see the most straight face from Aaron. Mentality. No, but I mean, like, I'm not saying that we want to, but I'm just saying like, I think that there's no issue that I don't think we could try to overcome. Okay. So I'm, can I just also self-disclose? I remember saying that about Tori. So like, I remember saying, I know this is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with because there is no wrong that couldn't be coped through, processed through and righted together. Like I really, really, truly believed that. And then that didn't work. (laughs) So 
Let's return to the skills use. Do you guys ever build plans together? Because one of the most effective things we did in our marriage was develop COPA head plans together. No. Okay, cool. Well, Lori and I have to build a COPA head plan for my dysregulation around this whole dating scenario. So we're going to do an episode around it. But I was just wondering if you guys have ever found yourselves needing a COPA head plan together. Walk me through what a COPA head plan is. A COPA head plan is pre-planning for a crisis or a moment of dysregulation that you anticipate will happen. And so in in when you're at baseline, you have a conversation with your partner that is essentially like, if this happens, this is how we will deal with it. So identifying the skills that will be helpful for how to navigate through it. And then you guys, basically, when you're at baseline, you practice it together so that when the moment comes up that Lori would be dysregulated, you would be able to help her implement the plan together. So for example, Tori and I, um, the first like six months of our marriage, we obviously owned a home in Portland, but I had an office in Olympia and an office in Seattle. And I spent like 200 days that year living in a hotel for work. So, and y'all know the I-5 traffic on Fridays from Seattle to Portland is hell on wheels. So it would take me like four hours to get home every Friday. And by the time I got home, I would just pick the biggest fight with her because I was sitting in traffic going bananas for four hours. So we built this COPA head plan that was like every Friday, you will not be here. When I get home, you're going to be out picking up takeout, getting a beer for yourself, doing your thing. I'm going to be in the bedroom with the lights turned off, like scrolling and napping and chilling for an hour. And then you're going to come home and bring takeout back. And then we'll start our night together instead of like, it also involved her having her car out of the garage and me parking in the garage. So I didn't have to unpack anything. Like I was literally just going to go from car to bed to chill and she was not going to be there. And that was one of the most effective plans we ever built together. We never fought again on Friday nights. That seems like a great solution or, or tool to use. Is it more so used for specific situations or generally like, Let's say you know that, um, let's say Lori's having dinner with someone that she has had an argument with. Is it like, we're going to, we're going to talk about what we're going to do if you get back from that dinner and it didn't go well, or is it more like, we're going to figure out a plan for whenever you're feeling sad or whenever you're feeling angry? I think you can do either option, right? I mean, I use it for very specific scenarios, like coping ahead for my wedding. I had like three different cope ahead plans, one for the rehearsal dinner, one for the um, uh, engagement party, and one for the actual wedding. Um, And that's because my ex-mother-in-law was incredibly triggering to me, and I had to develop some plans for how to navigate her and the wedding process. Um, But I think like just moments of being upset are too general to have one specific plan to think that we could apply it. But I mean, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I think for like the really general situations, that's where like having that emotion regulation skills list on the fridge is helpful, right? Because it's like, even if I'm not going to use like five of them, there might be one that is kind of good for me. 
So I think like the, the one time that I remember like distinctly using it was when a friend of mine passed away and I was like, it was out of nowhere. And like, it was like very upsetting, obviously. And Aaron brought the list to me and he was very, very, very obviously upset. And um, the one that I ended up resonating with for that day, for some reason, was like watching a flame, lighting a candle and just watching a flame. And so we just like sat in bed together and just like looked at a candle for like hours. And I don't know why I've never used that skill before in my life. And like, it just really helped. And I, I still use it actually. Aaron, I think that we may not like call it a cope ahead plan, but I think about family dinners, for example, being a very difficult thing for me. And so I think that we kind of like, no, we usually will set like timelines, like, okay, so we're going to leave at this time. I'm going to have a nap before I go and I'm going to make sure that I eat something before I go so that I'm not hangry and I'm not tired. And then we're going to say that we have to leave at eight because we have to be home by nine because Mr. Norris is sick or like, you know what I mean? Like things like that, where we know that this situation is going to be triggering. We know that it's going to suck and we know that we need an out. And if we don't need to use the out, then like we can kind of text each other and be like, Hey, is it cool if we stay? But if we need it, then it's there. And I think that that's kind of like the number one example of when we use Copa plans. I think I can think of a friend that that needs those. And I can think of family dinners, like Christmas dinner or whatever, too. Yeah, fair point. I hadn't considered that, I guess, because I wasn't really aware of Copa plans. But we do kind of do that, maybe in a slightly less structured way, but... But I mean, it could be helpful to structure it more and be more aware of it. And I think, Sarah, your point to having these cope ahead plans for different scenarios for your wedding is a great idea. I'm not I'm not convinced that Laurie won't freak out. So so you'll you'll be there. You can you can do no, yeah, plans with her. There will definitely be some wedding coping ahead. Just as someone who's had a wedding, you Lori, I love you, but you will need it. Aaron, at one point, had said that he's going to have to plan like three engagements so that like when he proposes to me, I'm going to reject him the first two times. So he's going to have to like have progressively like better options for proposing. And I will have you know that I said yes right away the first time. So, you know, uh, but yeah, no, I, I honestly, I think the wedding will be helpful. And then the wedding is like a combination of factors of like some friends that are triggering some family members that are triggering abandonment, marriage commitment. Think about all of the things. That Expectations. Are like, yeah. Body issues. Food. All, oh my God. If people are going to have fun. I remember being like, what if we spent $20,000 on this wedding and like nobody dances? Like I just had like all of these what ifs running through my mind that I had to like figure out. But it ended up being the most beautiful day and still one of the best memories of my life. Um, but yeah, we'll develop some cope ahead plans for sure for, for your wedding. I'm going to have a cope ahead plan for your wedding for how the fuck I'm going to get through it and not be a drunk mess. So yeah, that's a good point too, right? Like that's important for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember one time I was really upset about something and he was just like, okay, we're just going to breathe. And he was like basically doing box breathing without like knowing what it was. And I was like, huh, he's just like naturally very good at this. And it's wild because I've spent how many years in therapy trying to learn how to breathe properly and like use it at the right time. I love breathing. Breathing is like my go-to thing for everything. It just takes some deep breaths, 
It's great. Always makes me feel better. Aaron has yeah. the biggest lungs. It's like fucking weird. He has like giant lungs. So I feel like half of his body is lung. So he's just like breathing is fundamental. Well, he should be diaphragmatic breathing if he's really stressed though. So your lungs don't matter that much, sir. I'm excited for you to take a look at his lungs because they're just like. Does so- he? <laughs> Aaron's just looking. Do you know what diaphragm breathing is? I mean, I've played instruments, wind instruments in the past. So to some extent, but probably not to the same extent as people who have practiced it in therapy. Yeah. So you guys have never been to marriage therapy or couples therapy. No, he, um, he's come to a dietitian appointment with me once or twice. Um, when I was trying to deal with some of my like food issues, but that's mostly cause he's like my personal, personal chef. So, um, it was like, it's just helpful for him to be on the same page. Sometimes we'll talk about what I talk about in counseling, but I, he's never been, I think that it's something that like, I would be interested in doing before we get married just a couple of times. But at the same time, a lot of the issues that people I think go into marriages, not having discussed, we've already discussed. Right. So like we've lived together for three and a half years. By the time we get married, we're going to have lived together for four and a half years. We own a home together. We both don't want kids, you know, like we're both like, we're both not religious. Like we're both pretty consistent on things. And so I, I don't know how much value it would be because we're, we seem to have a pretty good like relationship. But at the same time, I know full well that Aaron would do anything if I said like <laughs> that might sound wrong. But like if I said, hey, Aaron, I really need us to go to counseling, he would be there in a heartbeat. No questions asked. Yeah. I feel like it'd be really awkward or a little bit uncomfortable for me at first because I've never been to therapy. And you guys are pros at this point. But uh, yeah. You just show up and cry and argue with your therapist, basically. And we just sit there and we reflectively listen and we ask you, are you ready to change or not ready to change? When you're ready, I'll be here. When you're not ready, I'll still be here. Yeah, I think people think that therapy is a lot more like, I mean, it sucks. Don't get me wrong. It's like the worst, but it's super helpful and like, people I often will be like I don't I'm not gonna go because I don't know what to say and I'm like nobody knows what to say like I don't go into a thing with like specific ideas laid out of what I'm gonna say I go in and then be like hey here's how I'm doing and then they end up talking you through a bunch of shit you don't want to talk about um (laughs) but like it's not your job to like lead it right you just kind of like talk and answer questions and stuff I think that if needed, we would go to couples counseling. It just hasn't been needed yet. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you guys go? Oh, yeah. Was it helpful? No, no, (laughs) no, no. And, you know, yeah, so we went weekly for several months. It was like $150 a session. And I think we went too late. My... So I've talked a lot about on the podcast, the divorce, but not really given a reason for it, but the, the marriage ended because there was just a severe lack of intimacy. And I really need and want that validation and that physical touch and that desire to connect with someone physically is really strong for me. It's like a big part of how I feel validated and receive love. 
And Tori was just unable to provide that. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. It's not necessarily fully my story to share, but, you know, law enforcement training really does remove the um, human emotional experience from people. And I will fucking vouch for that every day until the end of time because I lived with it for three and a half years. So by the time we were in couples therapy, there was no intimacy for so long and like so much anger and resentment built from me and a need for answers that like Tori was unable to give me. And so we would be given like homework assignments that she just couldn't do. And I got labeled like the aggressor because I was just like, I need this thing that you're not giving me. And, and she would regress because she felt like a lot of pressure to give this thing. So we, we went to couples therapy for several months. And then there was one day where I finally was just like, you know what? Fuck you. Fuck this. I don't understand what's not, what's wrong with me that you can't just give me like seven minutes of your time twice a month for the rest of your life. That's like 14 minutes a month times 12 months a year. That's like barely a couple hours. So yeah, that was great. This is great. I, I, Fuck! God damn it. I can't do this, guys. I'm really sorry. I'm, like, so fucking annoyed. That's okay. We can end. Do you want to talk about what you're annoyed about? I'm just fucking pissed. About what? It just wasn't supposed to be like this. We love I cannot you. believe you guys don't fucking scream at each other. It's just different coping mechanisms. Yeah, we still get mad at each other. Lori, can you finish this one? Yeah, of okay. course. All right, I gotta get off. Okay, I love you. I love you too. Bye. Will it automatically save to my cloud? It'll it'll save to my cloud. We've we've gotten off before. Okay, sounds good. All right, bye. Bye. Bye, Sarah. I feel so bad for Sarah. I know. She'll be okay. All right. See, what do you want to talk about now? I know that the question I received while we were recording this was, is there any advice on how to handle high intensity emotions, outbursts, rage, or anger? And I feel like you've kind of addressed that already by like putting yourself in the other person's shoes. But I don't know. Is there anything else that you'd want to say on that? Uh, I mean, I think I also said this earlier, but you need to be able to take a step back and think. I think it's not it's not helpful to a resolution of an argument if both people are going at it purely from emotion. And again, as a partner of someone with BPD, you can still have emotion, but if both people are being fully controlled for lack of a better term by their emotion, then that'll just 
snowball. Um, yeah, so I, I can't. I can't imagine if we were both like that. Like it would just be a lot to deal with. Because like. I'm sure it's annoying for you when I'm super emotional and like, I'm okay with it being annoying for you. Um, but like, at least it's one-sided for the most part. So like we're, we're, well, I mean the, the annoyance isn't because I'm annoyed at myself for being that emotional. And then you're annoyed at me for being that emotional, but we can like deal with it because you're not also freaking out at the same time. Right. Which is the difference I think. And I think there's also something to be said for, like you were saying earlier, just taking some time away from the argument um, to let things simmer down. Because even if I'm upset and you're upset, if we can just, okay, we'll like see if we can talk about this later. And then, um, then when we talk about it later, it's a little more from a level-headed approach than an argumentative approach, and it's more productive. And one thing that I do that you hate is that I don't like, if you say, like, I'm going to go sleep in the other room, I'm like, nope, we're going to we're gonna hang out together, sleep in the same bed. Yeah, neither of us, I don't think, are, like, the kind of people who are like oh like never go to bed angry because that would just like never be the case but you don't like it when I don't sleep in the same room as you for sure we don't we don't try and resolve our fights before we go to sleep because we we both I think know that that's not reasonable right like where if we tried to resolve our problems before we went to sleep and both of us were like emotionally or I was emotionally like dysregulated then the resolution wouldn't be productive anyways right so it's just easier if we can just like wait until the next day or whatever I think that the difference is like you like sleeping in the same room so that it's like I still love you even if we're mad at each other I think that's the difference and that is helpful because my brain will automatically be like we should just break up then blah 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 blah. and then you're just like no we're I still love you we can just be annoyed yeah and I can't think of the I can't think of what we were specifically fighting about, um, but I can think of a few times where we went to bed angry after having some sort of disagreement. And then you either just lay in bed for a few hours and neither person is sleeping because, you know, everything's going through their head. And then after a couple hours of sitting there doing nothing, in the same bed close to each other, you might be in that position to have that conversation at that point. Or sometimes it's the next day too, where just emotions have chilled. Yeah. And sometimes it just is all, all it needs in that moment is just like, I'll be angry for three hours and then I'll come and snuggle you. And then it's like, it's not talking about it, but it's saying like, yeah, I love you and it's going to be okay. Right. Yeah. And I think that's also something important to try to think about is just because I'm angry doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means that I'm angry right now at something that happened at a situation, something you said, but if you can put, if you can put that anger aside for a few moments, just to make sure that the other person knows that that's still the case then I think that's helpful because it 
helps you see the bigger picture a little better than this one moment in time. Yeah, like if you think about the classic like BPD slogan where it's I hate you, please don't leave me. What you're really saying is I'm annoyed at you, but I'm not going to leave you. And that's enough. The other thing I think that we should address is um, the fear of abandonment part of the symptoms of BPD. And um, something that I've been working on over the last couple of years in counseling has been my need for assurance. So for example, like I would say like probably 15, 20 times a day, like, are you sure you still love me? You're not going to leave me. You sure you still love me? You still want to marry me? Blah, blah, blah. And it's something that we've been working on, I think a lot. Um, And I still sometimes need that validation, but it's not become like an obsessive thing anymore. Um, And the ways that we were able to deal with that is a, I just came home from counseling one day and I said like, by the way, this is something I want to work on. I know it's annoying when I ask you 400 times a day, if you love me, because I know you love me. And then you basically asked like, okay, like, how can I help you with that? And I think that that's where you're amazing is instead of saying like, yeah, good. I'm glad you're working on it. It's like, how can I support you in that working on it piece? And so the seeking reassurance thing was basically the way Aaron could help me was to not answer the question, which seems awful. But what he would say is I I would go, do do you still love me? And he'd be like, I'm not supposed to answer that. You already know the answer. And it was like, yeah. So kind of a yes in disguise, at least like, so that's not necessarily a cold turkey. You can't ask me anymore kind of thing. Um, but still some reassurance while reminding you, like, this is what you asked me to help you with. Exactly. And like, that was so helpful. And I think that just, I mean, it took a couple of months to kind of get to that point, but for the most part now, I just don't need to ask. And like, when I do ask now it's few and far between. So he'll, he'll often just say like, yeah, that's fine. Cause I mean, it's not like he needs to be like withholding from me. <laughs> it's just, I don't need to ask him a hundred times a day. Cause that's annoying. Right. Yeah. It, like if it's not an issue of you needing that constant validation, then like, there's no harm in saying yes. Like if you ask from time to time, like, yeah, of course I do. Yeah, because I love you so much. Well, I feel like, Erin, are there any last things you want to say? No, I don't have any other particular things. I'm happy to answer questions if people have questions, but I don't have a lot of my own stuff to say, oh, yeah, here's something I want to talk about. Yeah, so um, what we're going to do is if anybody has any questions for Aaron about what it's like to date somebody with borderline personality disorder or how to be a supportive partner or any of those pieces, um, please feel free to email us at boldbeautifulborderline at gmail.com or DM either Sarah, myself, or the BPD or borderline, Bold Beautiful Borderline Instagram. Um, And what we're going to do is we're going to keep those questions uh, on a list that we have, like a running list of Q&A questions. And then if there's enough of them, we'll bring Aaron back to answer any official questions that come in. People are, I mean, Aaron really prefers like just like answering direct questions because he, he's not like, he doesn't know how to ramble like Sarah and I do. (laughs) Um, So yeah, any direct questions you have would be super helpful. And um, hopefully this, these two episodes 
kind of gave you a little overview of what it's like to be in the relationship that we're in, keeping in mind that a lot of relationships with people with BPD are a lot more volatile than ours are than ours is, but that we have been able to work together to keep it that way, essentially. And and I've also been going to counseling for a very, very long time to like learn how to have better relationships. So if you're not feeling like you're in a spot where this is where your relationship's at, that's okay. And, and you don't need to feel shame about that. Um, but I can assure you that there are pieces that Aaron is dealing with that maybe don't come across when we're just like talking generally like this. And like he, he sees the anger, he sees the rage, he sees the upset, he sees the sadness, he sees the suicidality, like all of these pieces that I'm sure are really distressing to him. Um, they just don't necessarily come up like in this kind of very general conversation. Yeah. And to piggyback on that, I've heard Lori say before that BPD is not a death sentence and same in terms of relationships Um, and not everyone's relationship will be the same and that's totally fine. And like Lori said, you're obviously not getting the full picture from 30 minutes on me being on the podcast. And as a partner of someone with BPD, sometimes some of the stuff can be scary. Like if someone is talking about how they're feeling suicidal or how they're unhappy or they're upset or they're feeling hopeless as a partner that's scary for a lot of reasons. And it creates room for a lot of your own self-doubt. So it's not, it's not like a, picture perfect everything is great all the time that it might be portrayed as in the last 30 minutes Um, just because we have our ways of dealing with things doesn't mean that we don't have things that come up and doesn't mean that we don't have other issues that haven't been brought up so we are happy to answer any questions or anything like that and reserve the right to not answer a question on the podcast but in most circumstances if that's the case I'm sure we'll be happy to answer it off podcast for you yeah that's a good point I mean I'm a very open book as everybody knows who listens to this and um, I think that it's important to acknowledge that like Aaron and I did talk about the fact that I was going to do this podcast and not this episode but the podcast in general and, and I did ask him for kind of his generic consent about talking and we do have a few boundaries that we don't talk about but for the most part we're happy to answer any questions and like I for one I'm happy to answer basically any question based on any previous relationships too so like if there was something specific that Aaron didn't want me talking about which has never come up but if it did then I would answer based on other relationships so we're always happy to answer privately as well uh okay well thank you Aaron so much for coming on to the podcast um I love you forever and so much and um I know that this is like awkward for you because you're you're not like this kind of person that just likes to hear themselves talk but I appreciate you and I know that the listeners will really appreciate you too because this is 
being in a relationship with somebody with borderline can be distressing in itself, but it's also pretty great when you, you know, cause we're passionate and fun and impulsive and pretty, you know, all those things. You guys can't see it, but I was nodding on camera the whole time. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Aaron. I love you. Love you too. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Anytime. Then you'll be back. I'm sure. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold, Beautiful, Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey, and we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about Borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.